0: Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the Saturday, March 18th slate of college basketball at the FS for DraftKings and FanDuel taking place for the round of 32 for the NCAA tournament. I always forget whether or not they actually call this the second round or the third round because, you know, with the whole first four thing. But I'm just going to call it the round of 32. That way it's accurate. So we got round of 32 games going on here on Saturday. We're going to have an eight-game slate as well as another eight-game slate taking place on Sunday. Now, if you've been playing college basketball DFS for the NCAA tournament, um, it's kind of been a very fun but interesting week so far um, with this, you know, DFS slates that we've had on Thursday and Friday. We've kind of seen a lot of the chalk hit in DFS this week, meaning a lot of the guys that came in at like the highest ownership percentages for these large pool GPPs have done very well. And I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes sense, right? Like guys are chalky plays because they either have a good matchup, they're in a good game environment, or they're an obvious misprice, right? In the case of a lot of them on this particular Friday slate that I'm you know able to look at and evaluate, I think it was a lot of guys that you know, came in on mid-major teams as missed prices. And, you know, they were just, you know, a lot of people targeting them because they were missed prices and, you know, they just, they hit value. And so you're kind of seeing some high scoring GPPs, some high scoring tournaments, um, you know, taking place on DraftKings and FanDuel because the guys that a lot of people are playing are hitting. Now, another kind of really worrisome trend is that a lot of the guys in the 9K range on DraftKings have really been bad. Like, it's kind of surprising. Like, on Friday's slate, the only 9K players that got even close to four times value were Marquise Noel and DeAndre Williams. Um, Everybody else was... um was not good so you're kind of just seeing this decimation of the 9k range and so you're looking at a lot of the lineups that are having a lot of success are the ones that have paid all the way up for the stars like a Zach Edie or a Trace Jackson Davis or ones that are going with more of a balanced build and playing you know guys more in the 8k and the 7k range like if you were able to get to um, Ryan Kalkbrenner today or Adama Sanogo today or maybe even a guy like Um, Anton Watson from Gonzaga had a big day. Julian Strother from Gonzaga had a big day. So if you were able to get to kind of these guys in the 8K and 7k range, or if you were able to pay up, um, for an ED or a TJD, you were probably able to have a lot of success today. It's kind of uncanny how bad the 9k range has been. So anyway, that's just a few thoughts on the Friday slate that is, you know, kind of taken place so far. Um, you know, kind of as we look ahead to Saturday, it's going to definitely be different because we don't have, you know, these blowout matchups. We don't have any 15 or 16 seeds left. Well, actually, we have one 16 seed left, but they didn't play like a 16 seed, That's why they're still left. And so you're going to kind of see definitely different ways that we can target different games. Um, It's going to be more like a normalized slate. However, you still do have some of these mid majors with guys that we're not really familiar with and guys that we can definitely find a way to get into our lineups. And if you do the research like I did, you're going to be able to have a quick leg up on the competition. So hopefully because you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you're doing pretty well with your picks. I'll be honest. I feel like if you were listening to yesterday's podcast for the Friday games, I feel like you might've done pretty well if you listened to the advice on that podcast, not guaranteeing it. Obviously I was still wrong on a few guys. You know, I, I didn't get Keontae George right for sure. Um, but I definitely think that, uh, there was a lot of good information on those podcasts. So Let's go ahead and let's continue that trend. Let's go ahead and end the intro right here uh, and get a quick word from our friends at Spotify, and then let's dive into the Saturday slate. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the slate. So taking a look at what we've got here on this slate... Not gonna lie, y'all. It is not the prettiest slate of games. Like this is not gonna be the most free flowing, highest scoring slate of games that I've ever seen. Um, we're looking at only one game with a total over 150 points scored on Ken Palm, which is kind of unusual for an eight game slate. Now, on this slate, defense is king. We've got a lot of defensive minded basketball teams. Twelve teams in action are in the top 35 nationally in defensive efficiency according to Ken Pom. So, pretty much everybody that you're going to be looking at playing on this slate is going to be going up against a good defense. So, um, just keep that in mind as you're looking that a lot of teams are going to see a big jump up in competition from what they saw in round one all right the first game of the day is Furman versus San Diego State um, not sure this is exactly what CBS had in mind when they scheduled the standalone Saturday afternoon game but here we are we've got Ken Pom predicting San Diego State 75 to 68 which is Pretty good amount of points scored for a San Diego State game. San Diego State actually hasn't scored 75 points in a game in their last seven games. But Furman is 178th defensively in the nation. uh, And they do play in the top third of all teams in tempo. So this could be a pretty good spot for San Diego State to score a lot of points. If they do score a lot of points, it's probably going to be because of Matt Bradley. He really took advantage of an up-tempo opportunity against Charleston in round one with 33.8 fantasy points. Should I call it round one? Or should I say the round of 64? I'm just going to say round one. Anyway, he has a 26% usage rate on the season, uh, which is San Diego State's highest on the team. And so I definitely think that Matt Bradley, in a really good spot to play against Furman, he's probably going to be a guy that, if I'm going with more of a balanced build, he's probably a guy that's going to be in my lineup I also like Jaden LaDee a lot, which is not something I generally say about guys who play 18 minutes a game, but he is a fantasy point per minute guy, and he's seen you know, a little bit of a boost in minutes and a boost in production in his last two games. He's hit five times value in each of his last two games, and he's actually San Diego State's second highest usage player uh, at 24% usage rate. Uh, now, he did only have 18% usage against Charleston, which... I'm not holding against him because he still got to five times value. If you're able to cut your usage in two-thirds, well, I guess take 33% off would have been a better way to word that. But if you're able to take 33% off of your usage and still get to five times value, that's a pretty good sign, right? Like, he can definitely get you big-time points in not a whole lot of minutes. And we're looking at a Furman team that just let Caden Shedrick of Virginia have a 40-fancy-point performance against them. So I definitely think this is a really good spot for Jaden Lede of San Diego State. Darion Tremel is a positive regression candidate. He's still seeing over 20% usage on a game-by-game basis. He just hasn't shot the ball well. He's made three of his last 14 field goals. and He's only made one of his last nine threes. If you're somebody that believes in season-long averages and regression to the mean, Darion Tremel is probably a guy you want to get into your lineup, and because of how bad he's been, I don't think he's going to be very highly owned. Micah Parrish and Aguek Orop don't play the most minutes or get the most usage, but they could definitely have a chance at getting four times value because they're cheap and they're up against one of the weaker defensive teams on the slate in Furman. So I wouldn't mind going with them as value plays, but I do think there are better, more upside options. For Furman, I'm not going to fear the San Diego State defense, right? Like they just played against Virginia, who is you know, pretty comparable to San Diego State. And they scored 68 points against Virginia. And San Diego State plays at a faster tempo than Virginia. So you're going to get more possessions out of the Paladins than they had uh, in their first round game against Virginia. Now, the good news for Furman is they're fairly easy to target guys from in DFS because they only play five guys on their team more than 15 minutes per game. And all five are in play for me. Like, even if you're going up against the best defense in the world, if you're playing 30 minutes a game, and I know that you're going to be playing 30 minutes a game, you're going to have a chance to score some fancy points. And so I do kind of like the all five are fairly predictable. Like Now, let's kind of break them down individually. Jalen Slosson is a legit star. He had 42 fancy points against Virginia. I don't necessarily expect the same output against San Diego State, but I definitely think he can get you four times value. He is the team's highest usage player, and he's seen at least 24% usage rate in nine of their last ten games. Mike Bothwell is a guard who's struggled against Virginia, but I do think he makes a solid leverage play because I think that Slauson and J.P. Pegues are going to be higher owned. Speaking of J.P. Pegues, he was clearly the mid-major misprice on Thursday. Everybody and their brother played him. He put up 3.5 times value, and DraftKings only increased his price 200 dollars so I have no pro- no problem at all going back to J.P. Pagese. I think he's in for another solid day. Very high floor at of J.P. Pagese. But just anticipate high ownership like we saw on Thursday. One thing I think you might see in these Saturday and Sunday games in the NCAA tournament is guys who are playing DFS these two days again are going to go back to the guys who made the money on Thursday and Friday. So why would somebody not go back to J.P. Pagese if they had a really good lineup with J.P. Pagese in it, right? So I definitely think that he is a candidate for high ownership, but... Again, we've looked at two days where the chalk has really hit on a high percentage. So why not go back to him if he continues to be a misprice? Now, the other two in Furman starting lineup are Foster and Hine. Um, They're not as high usage, but they're also not as expensive. I think they make for good leverage plays uh, against people playing Piggies and Slauson. Uh, And you know that they're going to be on the floor, right? Like, you're not going to get somebody just to randomly take their minutes. I definitely think this is a good spot for all five Furman-Paladin starters. Now, Duke versus Tennessee is an interesting matchup. Ken Palm has just Tennessee 64 to 61, which is the second lowest point total of the day. Still pretty darn low, if you ask me. Now, these teams are second and 17th in defense, uh, defensive efficiency nationally, according to Ken Palm. Duke is 17th, Tennessee is second. Um, So you're looking at two teams that really know how to play some defense, right? And I'll be honest, I'm not targeting the top plays in this game just because of the low total and because of how effective both teams are defensively. I think both teams have a lot of guys that they can kind of throw at the other team's star players and just kind of give them issues. Um, And also, kind of looking at Santiago Vescovy for Tennessee, I think the playing point guard is genuinely hurting his usage. He only had 18% usage rate again against Louisiana, so that's starting to be a real real concern from him. If he's not getting the same usage that he got when he was playing the two, then I'm not going to play him at the same price that he was at when he was playing the two. So I believe it's going to be a pass for me on Vescovy. Unless they win this game and it's like a huge Vescovy game and I get to play him in the Sweet 16, I'm going to have to see it before I believe it with thinking that playing point guard is actually going to increase his value. Now, Olivier Nkamwa was Tennessee's leader in usage in their last game, but he didn't do a whole lot with it. He only played 19 minutes. He had about a 30% usage rate. And he only had 20.8 fantasy points. Uh, going up against Derek Lively, um, I'm not exactly enthusiastic about playing any of the Tennessee big men. If you watch the Duke Oral Roberts game, Derek Lively like dominated the game defensively. Like He was really good at switching on the perimeter. Um, he was really good at playing help. He was really good at moving his feet, protecting the rim, doing it all without fouling. Like I was just super impressed with his defensive ability. And I'm probably not going to play any of the interior Tennessee players because of that. Now, I do want to mention this fact. The game against Louisiana was 58-55. That's kind of going to be a similar game flow to what we're expecting here with Duke. So when you kind of look at these Tennessee guys' totals in that game against Louisiana, I think that's about what you can expect in this game against Duke, right? Now, two guys that I would be okay going with because they were okay in the game against Louisiana would be Tyreek Key and Jemiah Mayshak. Both had over a 24% usage rate against Louisiana. So I don't mind going back to either of them, and I think that both of them have a real good chance to hit four or five times value. All right, so now we got to talk about the Duke Blue Devils. So I'll be honest, I'm not real interested in playing Filipowski or Young or Mitchell or Proctor just because of the opponent. Really, I'm not interested in playing a whole lot of Duke guys just because the opponent they're facing in Tennessee and the strength of their defense and the fact that it's going to be a slower tempo game. Now, the guys that I do have interest in playing. One of them is Jeremy Roach because they are starting to run everything in their offense through Jeremy Roach again, kind of like they did around this time last year. Jeremy Roach has seen over a 26% usage rate in back-to-back games. Uh, I think that he is going to be highly used again here against Tennessee. And if he's going to get that high usage rate, he's going to get you to a good fantasy points total. I also don't mind playing Derek Lively. You know that he's going to see a lot of minutes because of what he brings to the table defensively. He's going to block shots, he's going to get rebounds, and he's going to be out on the floor, which definitely gives him a little bit of upside. And then I also think Derek Whitehead, maybe not somebody that I'm playing tomorrow, I mean, maybe he's more of like a GPP type of play, but he's definitely somebody that I'm monitoring going forward, right? We've talked about on this podcast all season how bet on talent. Bet on these guys that you know were big time recruits and have a lot of talent and have the potential to score in big time fantasy points, right? And he is one of those guys. He was supposed to be one of Duke's best players coming in this season. Now, against Oral Roberts, he played 23 minutes and he had 20 fantasy points. Granted, that game was a little lopsided, so I don't necessarily think that's something you can expect night in night out, but it's definitely something to monitor going forward, and it could be somebody that, as Duke gets into later rounds of this tournament, if they win tomorrow, then he could be big time for you down the road. I say tomorrow because I'm recording this on Friday night, by the way. All right, so that does it for Duke, and we're going to divide this podcast up kind of by the um, slates that DraftKings is doing. So if you were playing the whole day slate on DraftKings, obviously you're going to have all eight games. If you were playing the late slate, the night slate, I guess I should say, it's not going to cover these first two that we just talked about. It will start with our third game. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick breather here and then get into the next one coming up next. All right, the next game up is Kansas versus Arkansas, which Ken Palm has as Kansas 74 to 70. I gotta be honest, I kind of expected it to be more lopsided, but then again, Ken Palm does not love Kansas as much as a whole lot of the like quad one win people seem to love Kansas. So I'm not entirely shocking, but I did expect to see a little bigger spread. Anyway, Arkansas's rotation is a little bit of a mess because they got a whole lot of guys that really just kind of, um, how can I word this? They kind of take turns. Like, it's not like a flow of an offense by any means. It's kind of just like five one-on-one games going on. And so um – really, they're going to be super hard to predict night in and night out. Ricky Council is the one that probably won you money if you played him against Illinois. Uh, He had the biggest game out of all their guards, Um, but I don't necessarily think that's super reliable. He only had 20% usage rate, which is okay, but not exactly what you want to keep going back to. Uh, And he made 11 free throws in that game out of 12. So definitely um, looking for some aggression out of Ricky Council, but I mean, I think there's worse plays on the slate than Ricky Council. Anthony Black is pretty solid night in and night out. He's probably their most consistent player. But with how crowded their backcourt is... Um, there's just a very difficult path to five times value for Anthony Black. I think he can get you four times value. He can be a viable cash game play. But I don't really know about you know getting to five times value and beyond. Plus, I think he sets up as the natural matchup for Kevin McCullough in this game, uh, who is Kansas's best on-ball defender. Um, so I definitely don't think that bodes well for Anthony Black either. But like I said, same thing about Ricky Council. There's worse plays out there on the slate. I just don't know if I'm willing to go back to that with this messy Arkansas rotation. Now, the guy that I like the most at this messy Arkansas rotation is Debo Davis. He might be the one that I would actually consider playing. He had the highest usage rate last game against Illinois, and he is the cheapest of all their starting guards. So highest usage rate, gave you a good performance, cheapest price tag. What's not to love, right? Nick Smith Jr. is another guy in that backcourt for Arkansas who still gets a lot of usage, super talented, going to play in the NBA next season. But to me, he's nothing more than just a high upside long shot play. I don't think there's anything really sustainable or like something you can bank on mathematically, other than the fact that he's had some huge games in the last month. Makai Mitchell is really the only big man playing over 50% of the minutes for Arkansas lately. And that's important because Kansas has been vulnerable to big men and Makai Mitchell, you know, big, strong guy can get you some rebounds, can get you some block shots, maybe some putbacks as well. Um, he's definitely a guy worth looking into, not somebody that I'm like rushing to play, but maybe a guy that I might plug into play in one of my lineups. Now, I like Jordan Walsh for Arkansas tomorrow. He gets dual eligibility, which we always love. But I look for him to be the primary defender on Jalen Wilson. Um, He just kind of matches up best athletically with Jalen Wilson. He's very long. He's very athletic, you know, former big-time recruit. Um, And I definitely think that he's the guy that you can expect a minutes boost because he's going to be the guy that I think they throw at Jalen Wilson. Now, obviously – that could lead to some foul trouble, but it could also lead to some blocks, some steals, some rebounds. Like it could give you some bonus points as well. And I'm pretty confident it's going to give him bonus minutes. So, out of all the Arkansas guys, the guy I'm most likely to play might be Jordan Walsh. Now, for Kansas, I got to be honest, we've talked about them so much on this pod. We've watched them play so many times this season. Seems like they're always on TV. We kind of know who they are at this point, right? Jalen Wilson's the super high usage, maybe a few hundred dollars overpriced star player. Um, wouldn't mind going to him, but again, I would prefer him to be a little cheaper. We've talked about how bad that 9K range has been here in this NCAA tournament. Grady Dick is a streaky shooter who can absolutely catch fire, or he can give you a dud. Um, definitely more of a GPP play than anything else. Dewan Harris is their distributing point guard who plays so much better in wins. If you don't believe me, check the game log. He has over 30 fantasy points in their last four wins. So if you think Kansas wins this game, Maybe DeJuan Harris is a guy you should put into your lineup. And then Kevin McCuller is kind of a guard who doesn't rely on scoring. He relies on all the peripheral stats like rebounds and steals. He is a super good on-ball defender who's probably going to be matched up against Anthony Black or maybe Ricky Council. I don't know for sure. Um, But we kind of know what Kansas is, right? Like Nothing should surprise us with Kansas. They are who they are. Um, I definitely think that this is probably one of the top, I don't know, maybe three three to five games worth stacking. Um, so I don't know how many guys I'm going to get from this game, but there's nobody that like really jumps off of the page in this Kansas-Arkansas game for somebody that I have to get into my lineup. Now, Princeton versus Missouri is an interesting one. Ken Palm has it as Missouri 80-74. to 74. It is the highest total of the day, and Missouri has the highest team total of the day. However, be wary. I think the season-long metrics kind of tell a different story than... Princeton's round one game did. So, Princeton against Arizona, a team that loves to run, loves to get up and down. Princeton made their mind up. They were not going to let Arizona run and get out in transition. Arizona only had two fast break points in that entire game. Might they have the same strategy against Missouri? I definitely think it's a possibility. So, I'm probably not going to go all in on this game in terms of a game stack, but on paper, it does set up as the best game stack, right? I'm just saying that sometimes season long evidence and anecdotal evidence don't exactly match up. Now, Missouri is also an interesting case because they're not going to outsize Princeton either. Arizona really had a big size advantage with Tubellus and Ballo down low, and they really didn't use it as much as I thought they should watching the stretch of that game. Missouri is not going to outsize Princeton. Princeton is actually going to be like as tall and almost as athletic as Missouri. So I definitely think that this is not a bad spot for you know, these Princeton guys. Now for Missouri, Kobe Brown and Des Moines Hodge have been great all season. I see no reason not to go back to them. Hodge in particular has been great recently. He has 39 fantasy points in three straight games. Noah Carter is a forward who's coming on strong lately. He's having over four times value in four of his last six games. And if you believe in usage rate, blindly, with no evidence, DeAndre Golston is the guy for you. He had a 27% usage rate against Alabama and a 35% usage rate against Utah State. He just didn't shoot the ball too well in either of those two games. If you're willing to bank on the usage rate, you should be willing to go back to DeAndre Golston in one of the best game flows of the day. Now, Sean East is a guy that I would probably consider in a game stack if I was desperate, but I'm probably not getting to anybody else here in this Missouri lineup. Now, for Princeton. Missouri is one of the worst teams in the nation at giving up offensive rebounds, so that really bodes well for guys like Keyshawn Kelman and Tosan Awuma. I was told that that name was pronounced Awuma, and I watched it on the broadcast, and it is pronounced Awuma, and I don't know how they got Awuma out of it, but I'm going to get it right from now on. It is Awuma, so I do really like Awuma in this game. He has a 29% usage rate, and he's probably going to be a matchup problem for Missouri down low with his combination of size and strength, so... I think he has the potential to go big in this game. Now, we already talked about Keyshawn Kelman on the boards. I think he has some upside as a value play. And I think Zach Martini has some value as an upside play as well. He played 29 minutes against Arizona and had 21 fantasy points. But the question is, was that matchup dependent? Were they trying to match size with Arizona? And is that why Martini got more minutes? I don't know exactly, but I definitely think that even at his price tag, he probably doesn't even need 29 minutes to give you value. Now, Princeton's two main guards, Aloko and Langborg, are consistent but not super high upside, guys. These two are probably going to be the two that could get out-athleted by Princeton. I think their front court matches up well with Missouri, but I definitely think Missouri's guards are more athletic than Princeton. Um, so I think those two guys are probably more cash game plays or maybe even game stack plays, but I definitely don't think that like these are just one-off single-bullet guys you can put in a GPP lineup and expect 45 points out of. All right, now let's talk Auburn versus Houston. So Ken Palm has it as Houston, 70-62. to 62, uh, And for Auburn... I think that this game has the potential to look similar to when they played Tennessee due to the quality, of the defense, and the team size that they're playing against, both being bigger teams, both being strong defensive teams, both being slow-tempo teams as well. Now, the question is which game against Tennessee, because both of them went drastically different. In the two games against Tennessee this season, Auburn scored 43 and then 79 points. So I don't know what to expect. I can tell you that it's going to probably be somewhere in between 43 and 79, though, like Uh, I'd be wanting to take that to the bank. I don't see Auburn scoring less than 43, and I certainly don't see them scoring more than 79. Now, for Auburn, Jani Broom has been great. Like, he has been one of the best transfers of the season, in my opinion, coming over from Moorhead State. Um, But I don't know how I feel about this matchup. Now, what does make me feel a little better is that he played well against Tennessee this season. He had 36 and 32 fantasy points in both of those games against Tennessee, which is... Not bad, right? And he also had a heck of a game in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Probably won you some money if you had him in your lineup going up in that first game against, um, who did they play in round one? Iowa yeah going up against Iowa now Wendell Green also gets a little bit interest from me he has a 29 percent usage rate on the season which is the team high um and he is kind of the guy that if this game is close down the stretch he's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands making decisions with it um and so he's going to give you opportunities for points and assists in that way Alan Flanagan for Auburn doesn't have the highest usage rate but he just kind of like we think that I don't He kind of just finds his way into good fantasy performances. I don't know how he does it. He just kind of fills the stat sheet in all kinds of ways. And you'll look at the end of the day and it's like, oh, look, Alan Flanagan hit four times value again. In fact, he's hit four times value in three of his last four games. So I wouldn't mind going back to him either. But I'm probably going to avoid the other Auburn guys uh, outside of Broom and Green and Flanagan. Maybe KD Johnson in a GPP. We've talked about how he is a very mercurial player and he could definitely go off on any given night, but you know, only for a GPP if you're looking to get a low-owned, very high-risk, high-reward guy. Now for Houston, I'm very concerned about their guards. I'm concerned about their health. Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shed both got banged up in their game against Northern Kentucky, but they're both going to be good to go For this Auburn game, apparently, is what everybody's saying. Now, the question is, is, like, are they 100%? I don't know. Like, I'm probably not going to play either of them. But I'm not going to rush to play their backups, Sharp, or Arsenal, either. Just because, like, they're, they're still active. Like, they're still probably going to be out there. But, like... I don't know. Do they leave early? Do they play the whole game? Are they effective? I don't know. I think it's just a situation that I'm naturally going to avoid. Now, theoretically, if Sasser and Shed are injured, Tremont Mark would be the guy that would see more usage, but he hasn't really done a whole lot with that in the last two games where Sasser has been banged up. So I don't know how much I trust that, but theoretically, he would be the guy that would capitalize on that situation. Now, the guy who has, in fact, capitalized on that situation is Juwan Roberts. He has upped his game the most with, you know, these two games of Marcus Sasser. Are being banged up. He had back-to-back games of 35 and 47 fantasy points, so I definitely wouldn't mind going back to Jawan Roberts. Next game up is Penn State versus Texas. Ken Palm has this one as Texas 75 to 69. Now this one is interesting because both teams kind of have the same weakness, and it's rebounding. Right, like Texas's one statistical weakness is rebounding, but the problem is is. Penn State's one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the nation. So for DFS purposes, there's nobody we can really play to take advantage of that on the offensive boards. However, on the defensive boards, Jalen Pickett is in fact their usage, or not their usage leader. He is in fact their rebounding percentage leader on the defensive end. Now he is also their team leader in usage rate. I was about to get to that. So I expect him to be absolutely hounded by this Texas defense that is very good, but Pickett's usage rate is so high that I still think he has a chance to get you to four times value just off of all the peripheral stats that he's going to get with rebounds and assists. So I don't mind going to Jalen Pickett. I think there's other ways you can spend your money. I definitely would be more in favor of a balanced build on this slate than to pay up for a guy like Jalen Pickett. But I do think that that is an option to consider for sure. I definitely think there is a pathway for him to get to four or five times value. Now for Penn State, Andrew Funk is the red hot shooter. He was eight for 10 from three against um, Northwestern. I'm sorry, they did not play Northwestern. He was eight for 10 from three against Texas A&M. That is my bad. Had had the wrong game there. Now, I do not think that Texas is going to let him do that. The three-point defense is too good. So I think the value play that you look at for Penn State is Cameron Winter. Um, He has shown some big-time upside in the last month. Six of his last 11 games, he's gone over five times value. So with that high ceiling, I definitely think he's worth the look. In those games, he does garner a high usage rate. So maybe if you think Texas tries to take it out of Pickett's hands or doesn't let Funk get going, I definitely think Winter is a nominee to pick up some shots in lieu of those two guys. Now on the Texas side of things, we know that Penn State's super undersized. We know that they're terrible at giving up rebounds and they don't get offensive rebounds on their own. That really bodes well for Dylan DeSue. And he is a great kind of mid to high, mid-priced big. Um, And I really think he can take advantage of Penn State's weaknesses. He has four straight games over 29 fantasy points and six of his last seven have been over 24 fantasy points. He's shown the ability to go big um, the only thing he has to do is stay out of foul trouble that can kind of be his doom. So if you're looking to kind of play a leverage play against Dylan DeSue, Christian Bishop will be your guy. He would be the guy that would fill in if DeSue were to pick up foul trouble or if Sioux were just having an off night. Um, and I don't necessarily think DeSue is going to come in with mega ownership, but I do think that there are going to be a lot of people that go ahead and click DeSue into their lineup. Um, I don't think he's going to be a full on chalk play, however, though. Now, Serge Barry Rice is Texas's hot shooter. He was 7 for 10 from 3 against Colgate, but Penn State is a much better defensive team than Colgate, so I don't know how much you can rely on that. What you can rely on, though, is that Serge Barry Rice has seen a pretty good, consistent usage rate over 20% over their last five games, um, so I would not have a problem going back to him. He's a little pricier than I would like him to be, though. I really liked playing Serge Barry Rice when he was in that 5 and then low 6K range. Now he's a little higher than I would prefer. Now... This guy for Texas hasn't scored more than 30 fancy points in seven games, but everything in their offense still runs through him. That person's Marcus Carr. He hasn't done a whole lot for you lately in terms of DFS, but he is still the guy that makes everything go for this Texas offense. They run all their ball screen action through him. Um, He has the ability to isolate and go one-on-one as a part of the offense. And if this game gets close down the stretch, it's going to be Marcus Carr with the ball in his hands. And so I would definitely – understand if you were going with like a picket and car game stack I think that could be a little bit correlated um, because if if you get this to be a close high scoring game it's going to be those two going back and forth in the last three minutes now also do not sleep on Tyrese Hunter Tyrese Hunter still has a lot of upside to me he's super talented we've seen him do it in the NCAA tournament before at Iowa State and he did give you a good performance against Colgate with 22 fantasy points so I would not mind going with Tyrese Hunter as well All right, that does it for the Texas-Penn State game, and that does it for the middle block of games. The last two coming up are for the late-night slate on DraftKings. So let's go ahead and take a quick breather, and then let's break down these late, late games. All right, let's go ahead and talk about these last two games. So... Northwestern versus UCLA is next up on the docket. Ken Palm has it as UCLA 67-59. This is the lowest point total of the day, according to Vegas. This one, Ken Palm has a little higher than Duke, Tennessee, um, but Vegas has this one as the lowest. Now, the reason why this one is the lowest is because both teams are in the top 20 nationally in defensive efficiency and the bottom 100 in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm. So you're looking at a slow defensive slugfest in this game which if you know Mick Cronin's coaching career should not shock you one bit. Now, Northwestern, in round one, got bounce back games from Boo Booey and Chase Audige. Both had over a 30% use, usage rate against Boise State. Both had over 35 fancy points in that game as well. If Audige is back to being the old Audige that we've seen over the course of the season, he's vastly underpriced in my opinion. But he is also playing the number one team in the nation in defensive efficiency. So I definitely don't think this is the best matchup, but I do like the price tag what we're getting with Audige right now. Now, Brooks Barnheiser came in really hot for Northwestern in terms of what he was um, given fantasy point-wise, but he kind of cooled off a little bit in round one. He only had 21 fantasy points. I don't mind going back to him, but again, know that you're going up against the best defensive team in the nation in UCLA. Matthew Nicholson did not do a whole lot against Boise, but I do like him to see a lot of minutes against UCLA. Um, UCLA does play a true center and four-out spacing around him, so I think Northwestern's probably going to try to match that with a lot of Brooks Barnheiser at the four and Matthew Nicholson at the five spot. Now, speaking of that UCLA frontcourt, they kind of did a um, a little bit of a pump fake in round one with Adem Bona. He was listed as active, but never entered the game. So what you got was a combined 40 minutes of Mac ETN and Kenneth Nwuba, where both were great value plays because of it. And honestly, I really don't know what to make of the situation, but I do know that if you were somebody like me and you had Nwuba or Etn in your lineup late night, it made you really nervous to see um, Nwuba declared, or I'm sorry, not Nwuba. It made you really nervous to see Bona declared as active because you just thought that those two guys were going to get nothing. And then they end up both playing and both playing very well. So I definitely don't know what to make of the situation. I will probably just avoid that particular part of it. But what we do know is that UCLA's guards are on a bit of a tear. We're getting big-time usage out of Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell, and Amari Bailey without Jalen Clark in the lineup, and so I definitely don't mind playing any of those guys. But again, keep in mind with the caveat that Northwestern's a good defensive team. This is going to be a slow-tempo game, not the best game script, but you're getting big-time usage, especially from Amari Bailey. Amari Bailey has been over 30 fantasy points in three of his last four games without Jalen Clark in the lineup. Now let's talk about Maryland versus Alabama. So Ken Palm has this one as Bama 74 to 68. Bama is still fifth in the nation in adjusted tempo on Ken Palm, but they are third in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. So what you're going to get out of Maryland is the tempo that Bama plays at is going to get the more possessions, but with the defense Bama plays at, it's going to be harder to score on those possessions. Now, the good news about Maryland, kind of like how we talked about with Furman, they're essentially only playing five guys right now. So that kind of brings them all in play because they're all going to get a ton of minutes and they're all going to have a decent amount. Usage. Now, Jameer Young, Julius Reese, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Don Carey are those five guys. And my opinion varies differently on all five of them. Carey is one of my favorite consistent value plays. And I just think he's a guy that you can plug into your lineup, set it and forget it. You're going to get four times value out of Don Carey. Like, that's just what he does. And so, um, not the most upside in the world, but, you know, increase in possessions. Maybe he does get a few more than he usually does. He does not command a huge usage rate, but he does play a lot of minutes. Now, Reese, Hart, and Scott all hit four times value against West Virginia, but I feel a little bit better about Reese and Hart out of those three. I don't feel as good about Scott. Reason being, Hart and Reese both had over 24% usage rate in that game against West Virginia. Reese is really Maryland's only big man, and going up against Charles Bediako is going to be a little bit of tough sledding. Uh, Hakeem Hart is kind of dependent on rebounding to get to his value, um, so he definitely could be a guy that might get you there in an up-tempo game. Um, but I definitely like, they're just kind of lukewarm plays to me. I'm not going to be super excited about them, but I also wouldn't like exclude them. This is not a bad game to stack with some of the point totals we're looking at on this slate. Now, the guy I do like for Maryland, which is kind of counterintuitive because this guy has not had a whole lot of successful fantasy performances recently, is Jameer Young. Um, to me, he is a case of regression for the mean in terms of usage rate. He still leads the team in usage rate, and he had a 31% usage rate against West Virginia, but he only had 17.8 fantasy points. So I think he's a big-time bounce-back candidate in a game that's going to see a lot of possessions from the Maryland Terrapins. Now, let's talk about Bama, who might be the toughest team to figure out right now. So Brandon Miller was just playing off in round one. If you played him and you cashed, like, congratulations you you pulled off a miracle um, because he absolutely killed your lineup if you had him in Um, that was absolutely no pun intended by the way Um, anyway apparently he's playing hurt he he, has the questionable tag on DraftKings he apparently suffered an injury in that round one game but I I don't know I don't know how much I'm buying that I like they did take him out of the game but like I don't think he's like his performance is affected. I don't know. Uh, apparently, he's also dealing with a lot off the court because he's getting death threats. He has security walking with him everywhere for this NCAA tournament. And, like, I don't wish that on anybody. Like, I've said my thoughts on the Bama situation. The way they've handled it has been kind of poor, but, you know, he is not a suspect in anything actually criminal. Um, and so I think that, you know, there should be a little bit of decency shown toward him by people. But, um, anyway what you're looking at is you're looking at a situation where he's not a safe play by any means, like just no safety in playing Brandon Miller. You could end up with another 10 spot from him. But remember the last time where he kind of had a lot going on off the court And, you know, the student section was really rallying against him and the media was really rallying against him. He went and played South Carolina and he scored 65 fantasy points. So I think that this might be like the ultimate long shot upside play for Brandon Miller, but definitely not something that I'm willing to put my own money on. I will probably not be playing Brandon Miller on this slate. Now the rest of Bama's tough to figure out as well because they play in a lot of blowouts. And so when you look at their game logs, like you kind of can't really get the sense of a pattern because they just play so many different type of game environments right now Javon Quinterly I think has a lot of upside he's shown the capability to go big especially in close games and he has kind of taken over more minutes from that point guard position from Mark Sears Um, so I definitely think that Quinterly is in play um, will I play him in all of my lineups? Probably not. Will I probably throw him in a few? Yes. Um, just cause I think he does bring you that type of upside. Remember he was an all sec type of guy before, um, the knee injury last year. And he does have a really high usage rate as well. Charles Betty for Bama has been great. Also, he's hit four times value in four of his last five games. Um, and he is going to be needed down low to go up against Julian Reese. So, um, Those are probably the only Bama guys I'm getting to. I just think that the rest of them don't really give you any kind of consistency, any kind of safety. Um, I definitely think the game flow of this game is going to be different than what they've seen in their last few Uh, And so I'm probably not getting to a guy like a Clowney or a Sears just because I don't really have any kind of consistency off of it. Now, like we've talked about with DFS in the past, though, guys being bad plays on papers can sometimes make them good plays in DFS because it means nobody's going to play them. And it means that if they do happen to go off, well, then you've got like the absolute best thing you can have, which is a super low-owned, incredible play. Just ask anybody who played Mitchell Saxon of St. Mary's today how that worked out for him, which, by the way, I did call yesterday. So anyway, that's probably how I'm going with Bama. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not gonna play Brandon Miller Quinterly I might get to, Bediaco I might get to, but nobody else. In terms of the games on this slate, y'all, I think there's less obvious value than there has been on Thursday and Friday because a lot of these mid-major teams that we were targeting the value plays from are no longer in the tournament. But I do think there are guys that we can fit into our lineups. I do think there are ways we can make both a balanced build and a build that has some stars in it um, with being successful here on this Saturday slate. It's definitely more of a normalized slate than what we've seen from the first two days of the NCAA tournament. All right, so that does it for the Saturday slate, y'all. So we will be back tomorrow night to talk about the Sunday slate. So if you want to be notified when that episode drops, hit that subscribe button on the podcast. You'll get a nice little notification when we drop the preview for Sunday. And while you're there, please rate and review. It really does help me out a lot. I want this to be the biggest college basketball DFS podcast in the world. And I think we're getting closer had my highest number of listeners for the Thursday round one DFS preview. So I want to keep getting there and I can only get there with your support. Please rate and review. It'll really help me out a lot. All right. So best of luck to everybody in all their DFS endeavors. Hopefully the first two days of Mark Madness have been great for you. My bracket is still relatively intact because I had Purdue going home early as well as Arizona state going home early. I did put a lot of stock into NC state, which did not work out well, but, um, most of the brag is still intact. I still got my Longhorns in it. So hopefully Saturday, Texas can get a win, can rest easy a little bit, um, and, you know, let's keep the thing rolling. So I will be back tomorrow night to talk about the Sunday slate. Best of luck to you in your Saturday DFS contest. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see y'all next time.